Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Hello and welcome to Dan's Perspective, the weekly podcast that debunks the myths and decodes the secrets to an amazing business, brand and self. Each week I bring you the best hints and tips from the greatest minds and achievers that are currently doing some amazing things in our big wide world. The kind of tips that you can apply to your own journey straight away that could bring you to that next level. This week I'm extremely excited to be bringing you an interview with the founder and CEO of TLC for Kids, a not-for-profit organization that assists children undergoing treatment of various kinds and their families, an Australian of the Year recipient, the recipient of the Ernst & Young Social Entrepreneur Award, as well as Australia Day Ambassador. He has built businesses, lost businesses, built and failed on numerous occasions to continue on despite of the adversities to grow the TLC for Kids Foundation over 20 years, which is celebrating his 20 years next year. A close friend of mine, an amazing human being, and I am humbled to bring you this candid interview with the man, Tim Connolan. So without further talking from myself, I bring you Mr. Tim Connolan. Thank you for being on the show. Really excited to have you here. Who, who's Tim? Who Tim you Connolan. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for getting the surname right. It is right. Yeah, that is I right. Actually, I actually thought I said it wrong. No, so. it, very rarely. It's it's normally another way, but hats off to you. So you're already 10 points, Daniel. There you go. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. So who, who what, what is it? Who, who's Tim? Tell us about the man. Um, just a guy standing in front of a guy. Um, no, <laughs> I I think somebody who loves life. Uh, I feel I've got a, a passion or a mission to try and help people. I know I don't know where that actually came from, but my parents always uh, taught me respect from the youngest age. So I've always had the utmost respect for people, being my elders and you know uh, even people the same age and even kids. Um, I've always had an interest in trying to I suppose fix a social problem. I've seen and I've got pretty strong uh, ethics and values so not a huge fan of uh, bullying or anybody that sort of is uh, intimidating um, I'm a pacifist and I just want to make the world a better place and leave the world a better place that's probably me in a nutshell yeah sure so obviously you've, you've grown business you run a charity which we're going to be talking about you're writing a book Australian of the year which we'll talk about all these all these things that you do what do you do when you're out of this spotlight and when you're out of running the organisation, running your team? How do you unwind? What do you What do you do? Are you uh, into sport? Are you into music? I know you're in music. No, I used yeah. to love music because yeah. I was you know, former DJ, so sure. I always had an interest in that. But I, I meditate. Uh, I do some pretty quiet time um, reading, and I, I love movies. For me, it's a, it's a huge escape. So I'm a talker. So, yep. <laughs> any opportunity. It's a good thing because we're doing an interview, so. <laughs> that works out well. But, you know, I love a, a, a good movie. I always look at the, I suppose, the, the cinematography of it. So, it's not just, you know, some pictures on a screen. I always look at the depth and I always like to try and work things out. So, for me, my downtime is really, I suppose, spending time with uh, my partner uh, and just 
chilling. I, I can be really still, or can be amongst a thousand people, and I'm just as relaxed. So, you know, I've got very simple needs. Sure, that's a good thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. So, obviously, for people that don't know you, you run this amazing charity called TLC, which is uh, a charity that supports um, children through uh, the concept of distraction. Yes. And it's been running for 20 years next year. Have I got that right? Yes. Yes. And it, it does amazing things. We met about 10 years ago. We worked on a couple of things together and we're working on a few things now. So it's really exciting where the organization is going. So tell us uh, about TRC. What, what is the concept of the actual charity? What kind of work do you do and how do people get involved? The, the main concept and the, the, I suppose the process of what we go through is to make sure that we're helping kids in hospital have a better time, a better outcome. The primary goal is to try and reduce the stress and anxiety and the pain of any hospital visit and we try and catch kids before they fall through the gaps of existing healthcare network work. So uh, we remove the eligibility criteria for kids. Uh, we work with any child with any illness, uh, if it's burns, abuse, car accident, um, serious chronic or terminal illness. It doesn't matter what they've got. We always look at the emotional side of what they're going through. And if the family don't have that emotional support or any support based around them, Healthcare professionals identify the need and then refer the kid to us. So we can either, you know, might be paying for medical expense or helping out with some utility bills. Uh, sadly, sometimes helping out with funerals, or it might literally be a day out. Um, just something that's fun and brings a bit of normality to the family. So that's the, I suppose, the core program we run. And the other service is called a distraction box, which is literally distracting kids while they're going through examinations and procedures. So yeah. it's. Very simple, uh, we've got rid of all the red tape um, and we have been around, yes, 19 years. We've been able to have our services used over seven million times so far and each time it's basically putting a smile back on a kid's face. Yeah, now you gave me a crazy stat a couple of weeks ago about the actual usage per month. Is it 900 and something thousand? Uh, we had, that, um, figure? It, it, we have, it's about two and a half, just over two and a half thousand times every day. Every day. Of the year. So services are in place, so they're accessible 365 days a year. Uh, so last year was 917,000 times the services we used. It's a ridiculous amount of number. That's it's a ridiculous crazy. Number. It is. It's, it's, it's a real testament to what you do. Thank so from, you. from what I understand, you had a business or multiple businesses before yes. this. Uh, it was some apparel, sports apparel with your brother, I think it was. Yep. Uh, so what having come from that, what led you to you know, leave all that and start TLC and go along the path of not-for-profit as opposed to for-profit? And what are some of the things you brought into um, the organisation to propel it forward? I think through the through the apparel business, that's where I learnt, uh, I suppose, a key area of loss because the, a couple of our manufacturers did the wrong thing by us and we lost everything. So at a very young age, having massive debt, losing the business um, and being forced to go back and work, you know, 17, 18-hour days, to try and get out of that debt, uh, but always had a positive outlook on it. So that led to my brother and I doing motivational work for people to teach them how to stay positive. So it wasn't not-profit work, but it was trying to enhance people's lives and give them you know, the skills or tools they need to get through things. I started DJing when I was 17 years old, and the, I suppose the, the DJing work, a lot of people have actually questioned, saying, well, I don't get the link between DJ and charity worker. But when I was DJing, I was always there for the people. It was never a show about me, it was never about ego. It was like, well, what can I do to have these people come to a night, 
and walk away thinking that was one of the best nights I've ever had because you're only as good as your last gig. Absolutely. So my focus of making sure people are happy, enjoy themselves, have a good time, and if anything, I suppose take them out of their daily routine, even for a couple of hours, is something that I brought along to TLC for kids because we want to take these families out of their normal situation of stress, even if it's for a couple of hours, to feel normal again. So that's where that link was, and obviously what we're doing, we're trying to make kids happy. And if we can make kids happy, we can make families happy, we can help hospital staff do their job even better. So everything about this is really normality and happiness. That's the key thing. A lot of businesses, a lot of jobs, and um, it's been a crazy sort of journey uh, doing nightclub promotion work. Uh, I've worked at a flag factory. I was a pastry chef for a little while, gym instructor uh, with my brother. Um, we did the, uh, the, the in promotional work, we worked for some of the movie companies as well, so we were promoting some of the big movies that were coming out, but we actually set and built sets, so it was a very hands-on, uh, tangible work that we are doing, but it was just, everything was fun, every single thing we did was fun. Then we started doing charitable work, but it was a business, and I suppose that the pinnacle change for me was when I found out how many kids were missing out we had a focus on only a few families and it was this uh, I suppose a shift for me to think I've, I just have to do more because I, I can't sit back and think that's okay if kids are missing out so that was a change from doing it used to be called team life uh, that was the, the business and then I turned it into TLC for kids yeah now there wasn't anything in particular that sparked you to actually do this it wasn't as if you had an experience with a child or it was just a case of you saw a need and you saw a way to add the value yeah. and fill that need. Is that is that right? Well, yeah, it was filling the need, but the... Uh, look, it's probably not the best business model, but I wanted to start this so I could encourage other charities to actually do just a little bit more. And I would love to get back to DJing. I'd love to go back and, I don't know, write a book or paint a painting. So the idea was to encourage these charities to just open their doors a little bit, increase their eligibility for the kids, so not have a strict criteria. But what happened in probably the first 12 months, we started getting requests from the other charities because we were doing things that they couldn't do, which it was a little bit frustrating at first, but then I realised, well, this is something that's needed. Uh, we've just fallen into this, so we'll make it grow. And then obviously, if there is a need, it needs to be met until there's not a need. And I think we've, we've talked about this a few times. It'd be great if we were made redundant mm. because that day would mean that no kids are having trouble in hospitals, every kid's covered by support and no one's scared of a hospital visit. So yeah. that's that's the end game. But yeah, it wasn't from a, a personal experience or a child or a family member. It was just I wanted to fix it and encourage other charities to do more. And then thanks to the other charities, well, we've become one of the critical part of healthcare for kids in the country. Yeah, well that, that's a great goal. I mean, to start an organisation and work towards not existing, yeah. that's, that, is, that is the pinnacle. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really big motivator to, you know, to be able to do that. You know, we spoke about business failing and all, all that kind of thing. And, and I suppose every person that goes on a journey of some sort um, has to, they come across adversity, they come across failures. What are some of your biggest failures and you know, what, if, what did you take from those? And did those mistakes and those lessons propel you um, to move further? Or did it bring you back for a while? How did you get through those? I think 
going through the loss, the first loss was a bit of a slap in the face and trying to work out what to do. So I hadn't faced that before. Mum and Dad had some uh, businesses that they were doing as well, so they're clothing businesses and that was always up and down. Uh, so they faced their own uh, number of challenges, which I saw how they got through these things. So there's a lot of mentorship, I suppose, from my parents, uh, which has been great. But when we uh, hit the first wall, the option was to go bankrupt, sign a piece of paper, or try and pay the debt off. And I always believed, well, if I can walk and talk and clean a toilet, you know, I can work. So I can't sign a piece of paper. So that got me through that stage. But the second biggest lesson, uh, and when we hit the second wall, or you know, when I personally hit the second wall, is that's after TLC had started, that we were struggling to find donations. People didn't understand that all kids needed help. So we pretty much got down to $93 left, uh, and that was it. So it's pretty confronting to look at, we had to uh, sustain a life, uh, pay bills, uh, you know, pay rent, uh, but not have any money coming in, but also not being able to provide a service to sick kids. Uh, my partner, Anna, so her daughter uh, was uh, about nine, 10 at the time, and a lot of things are considered, thinking, well, if we shut down, how are we gonna look after her? Um, but always kept a focus. So I suppose the biggest lesson was, well, don't give up, have faith in people. And then when Neil Mitchell came to the party and literally saved TLC for Kids by holding their big campaign on 3AW, uh, that showed me an incredible amount of faith uh, not on a religious level, but faith in good people uh, and good nature and, and genuine benevolence that people wanted to give. So my drivers were, I suppose, staying true, uh, always have your integrity um, and never lose faith or never lose sight of what you actually want to do. Certainly don't in introduce agendas or don't be led down easy paths sometimes because the easiest way is not always the best way. So I'd, I've been quoted uh, just recently, which I, I love the idea of um, being a salmon because they've got to swim upstream and that's their life. You've got to go against the current. You've got to dodge the bears. It's an eternal struggle, isn't it, for the, for the fish? <laughs> and then they get eaten. <laughs> then they get eaten. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, be the salmon. Yeah, if, if you're absolutely. out there and you want to be an entrepreneur or a business start or do anything at all, be the salmon and, and see where it leads you. Yeah, I think that people forget that. They, they get up one morning and they see um, this, this big vision of, of whatever it is, but it's the stuff, doing the stuff to actually get there is hard mm. and it's boring and it's mundane and it takes it out of you. But I think you just have to become better at it and more efficient at it and just roll with it because, yep. and always keep your eye on that, on that prize. And I believe that failure is the key to success because if you don't fail, you don't actually know what you're doing wrong or you're not really going anywhere. Is that something that you share? Do you think that failure is a, an essential element to success? I think it is, and unfortunately, I suppose it's life. Uh, it, we have life, death, and taxes. As, you know, that's a very old saying, but it's true. That's all we have. Well, we don't all have taxes. No, so. that's true. <laughs> but, so, well, see, the taxes, and it's a failure. Because Absol if you don't <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I think if you do go through that failure, that, that shows who you are. That, that gives a really good sense of who you genuinely are as a person, what your integrity is like, what your capabilities are, what your flaws are, but also the key thing is what your strengths are. 
how you get through it, how do you deal with adversity. So I think going through failure to get to success, and even success doesn't guarantee no other failure. So I think if you can aim at failing at a few things, take those lessons and change it a little bit, just enjoy the journey because yeah. it's, you know, it's not all perfect. And there's so many stories of people that actually have won like the lotto, where you know, there's countless stories of people that have blown all the money because it wasn't earned. So they didn't understand what to do with so much wealth and then just, you know, it all just disappears um, because part of the failure is, well, if they knew the challenges or how hard you had to work to actually earn the money, they'd have a bit more respect for it and be a different thing. Going back to what you just said, the journey, I think that is the best part, the journey. You know, and I've, I've built businesses and I've, and I've lost and failed and all that kind of thing, but it came to a point where I was reaping the rewards of what I was doing, but I was actually missing the journey. And then it, success became this, this, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was aiming for anymore. So, you know, and it was a case of, all right, well, I need to realign who I am as a person and, you know, six, what define what success is to me and plan that journey and just enjoy the journey going forward. Because it, it's an ongoing. Yeah. It's one of those things that where you reach one thing, you don't turn around and say, well, this is it. Well, you might as well just die. So it's an ongoing journey. You have to enjoy that. And I think if you're willing to go on that journey, you have to be willing to get knocked down, get back up, get knocked down, and then take two steps forward with everyone back. And that's the way it goes. So for the benefit of our listeners, what's the one piece of advice that you would give anybody out there who's on a journey of some sort, whether it's uh, business, uh, entrepreneurship, relationships, whatever, and they're worried or they've got anxiety or they're trying to overcome adversity. What's the one thing that you would say to them, you know what, take this and it could help. What's that one thing? Look at your feet. Look at your feet. Look at your feet. I, I say this often. It's crazy. Do you want to elaborate on what so that means? Basically, it's saying take a minute out of the day, look at your feet and realise what's led you to exactly where you are today. If you're, if you're having problems, if you've got success, whatever it is, whatever you've done and the decisions you've made because everything's a choice and the only reason why you are anywhere is because you have made certain choices when I lost all the money when the, the business um, failed when the, with the, um, the the apparel business we made a choice to get those manufacturers it was a choice you can't blame anyone you can't uh, absolve yourself of something that goes wrong so by looking at your feet taking stock of what you've done what you and who's around you most importantly though, just to stop and breathing and appreciate the life that you've got. We do live in the luckiest country on the planet. We're not dodging missiles, we're not you know, looking out for landmines, um, and we've got opportunities to do absolutely anything. But if you can stop for a minute, enjoy the journey of it, just, and look at your feet, uh, it can give you the opportunity to uh, gather your thoughts, compose yourself, look at what the next step is, because you don't, you know, it's, I know there's that saying, leap of faith, that you just jump off a wall and uh, jump off a bridge and see what happens. But if you stop and look where you're going, each step, and I, I learned the, the term baby steps many, many years ago, which I think is brilliant. So any goal you're going for, you have to take your baby steps, but each baby step, you actually have to stop. So every now and then just stop, look at your feet, and just be appreciative and grateful for the life you've got. Wow, that's, that's, that's huge. So look at your feet, guys. Um, I, I do agree. I think gratitude is, is one of those things where unless you stop and really look at what you have as opposed to... I, I think 
as a society, especially um, you know countries like ours where we do have wealth, we do have opportunities, we sort of strive for the next thing, the next thing, and we never stop and look at, okay, well, what have I done so far? What have I got around me that is great? Do I need to do what I'm doing? Mm. Is this enough? I think a lot of people don't actually do that enough, and I think you should. You know, go home, when you're at the dinner table, sit down and really absorb what's going on with your family, listen to the conversations, look at what you've got, because there's, there's plenty, plenty to be grateful for. And once you do that, I think that eternal struggle of the next thing sort of stops and you sort of sort of slow down and you enjoy what you've got around you a lot more than Absolutely. trying to strike for the next thing. And you, you, you get to realise who you are. Absolutely. So it's not, 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 you know, and the things that what you have is important, but sometimes it's good to think, well, who are you? Can you look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and think, good job today. Yeah. That's that, great. Yeah, the, sure. the people in your life, you think, oh, fantastic, you know, we're all, we are the sum of five people in our lives. Do you, do you stop and think, yeah, good job. That's a great person to associate. Well, that, that person really represents who I am. Sometimes you might have to distance yourself from certain people. Other people, you have to come in a bit closer. But you know, just stopping and uh, who you are. Yeah. That's and that, that's that's huge because if you if you're not careful, you get to a stage where if you take all that stuff away, you don't actually know who the hell that person is anymore. Yeah. And I can relate to that because I I got rid of a lot of those things because. Uh, outside of that, I forgot who this person was. You know, I had, from an external point of view, everything was great. You know, there was the cars, this, that, the business. But in, inside, it was like, well, who, who am I now? You know, I knew who I was a few years ago, but it got to this point where, you know, take all this stuff away, I don't even know who the hell I am. So it's, you've got to be careful because you can fall into that rut pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's much harder to get out because if you build an identity around tangible accomplishments, things, you tend to lose sight of what's really important and it's a big emotional fucking struggle trying to get back to that point. Absolutely. So sit back, look at your feet. We've spoken about entrepreneurs um, and business and all the rest of that. And for those of you who have read my article, my, my last blog on why I'm starting to hate the word entrepreneur, I think it's one of those words that has used too loosely now same as coach and personal trainer, all these kind of things. I think in order to be something, you have to have lived it in order to teach it. Yep. That's my opinion. So I suppose leads to the next question, which is, what's an entrepreneur? Obviously, you're very entrepreneurial with the way you do things. And the reason I say you are is because it's not about uh, growing a business or it's or anything like that. It's about driving change and pushing humanity forward. That's what I believe an entrepreneur is. Yeah. Uh, a business person is someone who builds a business for profit. Yep. An entrepreneur is someone who sees something that can drive humanity forward and add value. What's an entrepreneur to you? That's, I, I'm on exactly the same page as you. It's an entrepreneur is someone that you, you want to genuinely make a difference. And I'm not talking about just a social enterprise or change for the sake of change. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to have purpose. But the most important thing for, I think, successful entrepreneurs you do your research first to identify what needs to be done. You can have great ideas, and anybody can have an idea, but most ideas actually spawn from you being exposed to a problem that exists. You don't normally have an idea thinking, oh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna invent a new car for the sake of it. But when you identify things, 
you know, that car doesn't run quite well, or it's not the right, or it's, it's the economy, uh, the, you know, the petrol is not too uh, efficient, so I want to do better. So I think a, a true entrepreneur will see a problem and try and fix it, or look at services that are going and think, you know what, if we fine tune this a little bit, um, it can become more efficient, it can be a lot more streamlined, it can actually help more people or achieve better things. So I think that's probably the difference between a business businessman or a business person and an entrepreneur, that there's that thought behind the leap, uh, and it's not just that, well, how am I gonna you know, line my pockets with more money, it's, well, I wanna leave a change, leave a legacy. Yeah. It, it, I, I think the maybe is a bit of a change in ego as well because a, a true entrepreneur wouldn't be saying well I I I I it's a well this is a we scenario or it's for you so yeah and I think a real entrepreneur doesn't stop it's always about and they're eternally crazy I, I think <laughs> because the, the, you always see something that needs improving yeah. something that you know can improve humanity can pr- improve the 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 way in things that way in which things are done, uh, it's not about just okay. Well, this can make me a, a shitload of money. The money will come. That's not an issue. But it's more about what can we do better. Yeah. You know, and that's the eternal struggle for for a true entrepreneur. A business person can build a business, sell it, and go and sit on the Bahamas somewhere. And I know plenty of those. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. If that's the way you are, but um, you don't have to necessarily be an entrepreneur to build a big business. I believe. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so what's your what's your typical day? Obviously, we all know how hard it is to build something. You know, uh, it's a constant hustle. You're always going to be hustling. Always got to be looking for the next thing, uh, burning the midnight oil while everybody else is sleeping. How does how does your work um, affect your life, your family life, and what's a typical day for for Tim doing everything that he actually does? Typical day starts with. Uh, I suppose taking some time in the morning, so I always uh, try and get a, at least a 15 minute or half an hour uh, bit of meditation or very quiet time. Um, then literally, I suppose that the day before, because I'm a bit of a, a preparer, so I always look at well, what's, what I have to get ready for the next day, um, because Anna, uh, my partner, said this and she read it a while ago, great quote, that there's only so many thoughts you can have each day, so it's finite. And if you think your finite thoughts for the day, you think, well, okay, so what can I do today to make sure I've actually got a few more thoughts for tomorrow? So a, a typical day for me uh, really starts with that preparation. Um, so uh, the, the Anna, my partner, uh, she read this a, a while ago and said that you only have a finite number of thoughts you can have for each day. So what I try and do, if I've got a, a big day coming up, if there's something I want to really, um, if it's important for me or something I really want to enjoy, the day before, I'll work at what I can do to give myself more thoughts for the next day. And that could be literally from, um, you know, choosing the shirt that you want to wear to, uh, you know, start writing a, a bit of a, a note for a meeting that you got or finish off a, a proposal. So the days... Unfortunately for me, I don't have a typical day or I couldn't say on Mondays I do X, Tuesdays I do this. The only day I know I have to do something is the accounting day, which is Wednesdays. <laughs> but apart from that... And we know how fun accounting days are. I, I'm a little bit geeky because I love it. Oh, I'm, I'm, we're total, we're total opposites <laughs> because anything with numbers, I was never good at maths. I mean, I can read a report, 
but I, for as an example, I have my son who's in year seven now. And for those of you that don't know me, um, I'm still very young, so I started early. So he's in year seven and he's come and he said, can you help me with my homework? And he showed me this piece of paper and I said, I, I don't know. I really don't understand it. Ask your mother because there's a really good chance you'll pass if you ask her. I've so, unfortunately um, been there. Look, I used to love maths when I was in school, which is you know, quite a few years ago now. But my uh, stepdaughter did the same thing. She brought the maths homework home one night and had a look at it. I thought, I, I might be old school, but you know, two plus two, that sort of stuff, I'm really good at. But with this, um, I can't even describe what it was. I thought, I'm just looking at it. It looks like something from NASA. So, yeah. you know, I can do that. But basic bookkeeping, I'm, I'm great at. So I like the I like checks and balances and everything yeah. has to be a cent uh, for me. It can't be just that I'll just write that off. So, no, no, where is it? Or, you know, it was it entered wrong? Was it a bit of GST that was claimed? I'm, I'm, I don't know. It might be a little bit of OCD, but I enjoy that part. So my Wednesdays are my accounting days, but yeah, as we were saying before, even any other day could be from meeting um, the Lord Mayor to hosting a, a day with the volunteers to looking after a, a request for a child, visiting a hospital to taking a phone call from um, one of the National Australia Day Council uh, about something. So it's, I love the fact that it's it's so fluid. I obviously I have my calendar and schedule things, but I like the, the, the what ifs and always being prepared for the next thing. What are your greatest fears? How do you, how do you manage them daily? I mean, obviously you're, you work in, in the most competitive business landscape not-for-profit you know there are hundreds of thousands just in this state um, trying to push for that same uh, attention to the from the consumer trying to push for that next fundraising do you get scared about that do you does that worry you when you when you get in so well how far can we take this is it going to work is it not how do you manage that oh, pretty uh, I don't know if it's unusual but actually I don't get scared um, I don't have fear for some reason so I'm not saying that I'll jump off a building but I don't have fear that because I feel preparation uh, puts you in a position to know and potentially forecast what could happen uh, and I think to going back to the earlier question about the uh, the loss and getting through uh, the the failure has really prepared me for any situation so I've spent a lot of time preparing for worst case scenarios. Not that we would ever be in a position like that again because we've got some incredible people that have put their hand up and they're supporting us and look, it's family now. But because Anna and I went through that by ourselves so many years ago with nothing and nobody we could turn to, the fear sort of went to think, well, no, we've got free rent, we've got solar panels so we don't have to pay electricity, we've got cars that have been donated, we've got the toll that are looked after. So we've got, um, and the transport's all done. So. I've actually set the, the organisation up in a way that if fundraising stopped for whatever reason, we could probably operate for another 12 months comfortably, keep the services running for the hospitals until things change or if we have to adapt and if we just keep on changing the model. And I think I've always been quite resilient and looking at you know, turning something that potentially could be fearful into an opportunity. Yeah. And that's, that's something that most a lot of charities aren't good at, which is pivoting. Yeah, you know they're, they're very. This is this is what we do, and we need to raise money. It's, they've got a fundraising attitude, um, as opposed to more of a, you know, a pivoting. What do we need to do next? How 
where is it? So, um, and I think that's where the business side comes in is knowing how to run a business and applying those principles to a not-for-profit yep. because if effectively you are you are running a very sophisticated business absolutely you know, a very competitive business so we, we speak about people how important are people and we, we mentioned Anna a couple of times yes uh, very very beautiful woman uh, we were having a conversation hey, 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 the other hey. day <laughs> no, I've got my own uh, my wife she's probably going to be listening to this but um, she's a very, very beautiful woman. We were actually talking the other day about everything but work. We were talking about um, the Mandela Effect and parallel universes, and it was a really amazing, geeky-type um, conversation. So how important has she been with this, on this journey with you and your team? How important are people to... I'm going to go with critical on both camps. Uh, Anna, especially for me, because getting through each day and having someone not just a sounding board but you know it, it's and not not being geeky but it's, it's soulmate sort of stuff when we met each other it wasn't like oh I love it first oh, oh my god I found you we just clicked you know we got it we saw what the problems were so we were on exactly the same page happy to talk about the issues that people had the the non-profit problems um, the dis, dis, disgusting things that families have had to go through in the past and try and fix them that we're comfortable to talk to each other about that. And then we also talk about, you know, um, it, it, is, it might be a UFO or it might be a ghost or it might be some crazy conversation, but we both get each other. And I think the journey that I've been on personally, I couldn't have done it if I didn't have Anna in my life because she's been that, that the grounding, the, I suppose, the signpost um, and the milestone for me uh, but also that, that most supportive rock. So she's my foundation, basically. And also having a team that actually are all, again, on the same page, um, knowing that what the mission is, what we're, what we're achieving, and why we're doing what we do, it all comes down to people because we don't make widgets, we're not making batteries, we're not selling cows. We're engaged in dealing in people's lives at a, at a situation where they're very sensitive and it's critical. So if you, we have to keep on thinking, we're in the business of people, so you have a great team, the team do well by our volunteers, our supporters, but most importantly, the kids and families we're supporting, which is people, yep. so very important. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from with, with that. I mean, my wife is not really hands-on with my businesses, but um, because she has her own interests, but she's pivotal to everything I've done because without her, I couldn't actually do any anything. Mm. Um, she's my sounding board, she's the, the person I go to before I make any decision, and she's really put a lot of things into perspective. So if I had to choose a, the most important board member, it would probably be my wife, because she, she and I do understand where you're coming from. Um, although I don't know what it means to work together all day, go home together, I, I'm not sure. How's that dynamic? Do you go home and she's like, no, no way, go do something, I've had enough. We've got a very, very clear uh, rule, and look, this look here. Clear boundaries, this is your side clear, of the house, this is my clear, side of the yeah, house. Yeah, there's a little line. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no for, look, for years, and probably the first, oh, I'd say 12, 13 years of what we've been doing, because it, it carries a lot of stress, so it was 24 seven. Um, but we made it work, because you know the bigger picture, we were happy together, but also we thought, well, we've got a job to do, we've got a very serious job to do um, for other people. So we always put other people first. That was our 
big thing, I suppose, that made it easy for us to be around each other. Uh, and then, you know, sort of moving on, we had to have some boundaries for work talk because it was all consumed. Our job was defining us for such a long time. So the rule of thumb is whatever we do when we're leaving the office, you've got from the office to home to talk about things that have either gone wrong or um, issues or you know celebration, whatever it might be, and then it sort of gets lost. We're always on. That's just that's a given. If we get an email or, or a phone call, for, you know, middle of the night, for, you know, one of the kids have had a, a heart or lung transplant, so their family's called us to say, "Can you come to the hospital and be with us?" So we're always on, which is fine. But we can share that journey together. But we we always make sure that if it's uh, work, um, we try and limit as much as we can because we you know we've got a great life, so you have to enjoy life. And the biggest thing that I've taken away from Anna. A lot of people say you have a work-life balance, and she's always said it should just be life. Exactly right, and I think that was I was going to go into that where I, I could never understand why people need a break. I need a break, you know. I need to get away from my work, and it, it's it's one of those things. We work-life balance to me is you're doing. If you have to balance it, it means you're doing something you don't really fully enjoy because you need to move away from it to an extended period of time. I think what you do and what I do and what a lot of other um, people do is this is our life. This is what we do. Yeah. You know, um, I don't need to escape from it. I don't need to holiday from it. Um, if I am holidaying, I am thinking about the next thing because it's just who I am and what I do. I don't need to sort of take a break from and, and I think that's a really beautiful place to be um, because you just live you yeah, know I live. don't go to work on a Monday I don't finish work on a Friday I just do what I do you know so switching off when you go home you're always on mm. I think you're always on you, you have to be otherwise you've, you've just got a job that you want to get away from so I do understand that part, and I think there's a lot of our listeners who are on the same wavelength. Where if you're doing something that is driving you, and is something that you truly believe in, why would you? Why the hell would you want to take a break from it? It's 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 crazy to me, to me. You know. So having said that, how far are you willing to go to succeed? No, whatever it takes. I think that's the that's the the, the key thing here. Explain whatever it takes, because. I've asked that question from a lot of people. It's like whatever it takes, but when they're faced with something that they've got to do, it's just too much. So, it's, how far are you willing to go? Yeah, I actually haven't. I haven't been in a situation where uh, I had to step down. I don't have any regrets in my life. Um, literally, not one. Uh, which I know that's sort of it's a big statement, but I always believe, as I said before, you know, I've I've made the choices in my life that I take responsibility for, um, and I think going to that next level, people, whatever it takes, well, you know, we sold our house to keep the charity going. I think it's a pretty big statement. Well, that's that's how far we're willing to go to you know continue on yeah. that's for TLC for kids of course because it's, it's something we're very we're both very passionate about so I don't see it as a sacrifice and if it's I don't know if it's long hours if it's you know putting yourself up or, or having to be um, questioned about anything because I always think you should be open book 
uh, and if you've got anything to hide or if you don't have a strong integrity then whatever you're doing uh, that will be reflected in that and I think that adds a lot of challenges for people to say well how far are you willing to go so well yeah, I, I, I suppose there to clarify that I wouldn't bend my integrity that's how far I'm willing to go I wouldn't I, I wouldn't do something that would go against my integrity so that would be if, if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah too and you, you put your house up and, and you put everything up yeah now is that the fact that you could lose everything is that a driver or is that like a oh shit you know I because I was actually asked I, I did hear an interview with um, a chap called Tom Billy which a lot of you will probably know where he said he loved the fact that he could lose everything that he had everything on the line that motivated him that made him happy whereas some people causes stress um, is that the same for you I mean you sold your house and yeah. you had you've lost is that the fact that you could lose everything is that a motivator where it's oh, well shit now I've, I've you know and is that something that everybody should do put themselves on, on the edge and because it's you know sink or swim and do what you got to do to actually get to where you, you want to go because if you set a, if you set a comfort level you it doesn't really make a difference whether you get there or not because you know there's a almost a plan B it's like you know throw the parachutes out the plane type thing and see where you land and see where you uh, land you wouldn't encourage everyone to do it uh, and I think you've got to have a pretty strong constitution uh, and the right mindset to think it's just stuff at the end of the day it's just stuff if if it all goes you, you start again uh, very lucky to have um, Anna because we have exactly the same attitude uh, early days it was probably a little bit more concerning especially for her daughter um, well, my stepdaughter because that was a risk but we also thought no because we can go and get jobs we, you know we're always going to have food on our plate so we can always do that so it wasn't that that fear of oh my god we're going to lose everything now because she was more of a responsibility but now she's older um we we have that i suppose it's our it's in our nature uh, but we don't drive that or we don't push for that thinking no it's all right let's risk everything again because a lot of everything's calculated risk now because we've gone through that sink or swim but we didn't have the fear back then either because again it's just stuff yeah end of the day you know you can always rebuild look how many massively successful entrepreneurs and billionaires have said oh yeah i've lost everything three times in my life mm. and so you know it's a, and, and they've got so much money yeah but you know if, if you're not worried about it if you look at your, your belongings or whatever it is it's just stuff Mm. I think you can get through anything. Yeah, and I think I think you, you, you need to you, you can't wear sort of that badge of badge of honour of being an entrepreneur if you haven't lost. Yeah. I think I think you have to because it may not seem that way when you're going through it because it's shit and it's it's <laughs> and it's, you know it's really bad. Um, but when it's all done and dusted, it's like ah oh, fuck yeah, I'll do that again because all of a sudden it's like well that was there's some beautiful linings you know that you take away the whole Absolutely. I wish everybody I think one of those things I just heard something that Jim Carrey said he goes I wish everybody could be rich and famous so they can realize that it's not the answer you know and once you you gain and you lose it's like oh yeah now I know yeah it's now I know, that's right now I know what I need to do and then when you can get it back it's a case of well just because I can doesn't mean I have to 
because yeah. it's not a problem anymore whether you do or whether you don't because you've got other motivators there. So it, I think beca- it becomes a want instead of a have to. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So we've spoken about Anna, we've spoken about people. Who's your greatest inspiration? Honestly, it's, uh, well, Francis Stockbridge is the first kid I ever worked with, so I put his brush on my office. So I think yeah. of him every single day. So now, if, you, um, if, if you're sitting in this office, there's a little cabinet <laughs> with a, an Olympic torch. We have Australian of the Year accolades and community heroes, which we'll get to. It's, I feel so irrelevant. Oh, no, everyone, everyone, <laughs> everyone's relevant. Um, the, the big thing I, I will point out there is, um, and a bit of a highlight, unfortunately my father has passed, uh, which I, I think of him and, and uh, miss him every day, but when I received the Australian of the Year Award uh, and after they made the final announcements of the four recipients, they gave us gift bags and uh, I was being pulled aside for a lot of media commitments, which I, I love the attention because this is great. I get to talk about TLC yeah. for kids. I'm so happy. I was just, I was pumped. But Anna called uh, mum and dad to let them know that, well, I've received this award. This is phenomenal. And unfortunately, dad was just too sick to come up to Canberra, so he, he couldn't make it. Um, it was only a couple of months after that he, he did pass. But he saw it on TV and then Anna called and said, oh, and Pete, you got to know, Tim's on a stamp. And he, um, apparently he was sitting down and he's fist pumping, going, my boy's on the stamp, my boy's on the stamp. So that was his highlight. So I've got that in that cabinet for what, people what to see. So. What did it feel like? I mean, I've, I haven't gotten Australian of the Year, but I'm still a young man, so there's still plenty of time. Oh, plenty of time. Plenty, plenty of time. time. <laughs> plenty of time. Um, how does that feel? I mean, now you've got your head on a stamp. Oh. You know, having, knowing that someone's licking the back of your head and you've got this... <laughs> You know, Australian of the Year accolade, and what does it feel like? What, what? It's humbling. It really is, and I still pinch myself that it happened. I get, like, I understand, and when people say, you know, look, this, you know, back then it was like um, sixteen years uh, of non-profit work or TLC. That's why I received the award. But for me, it's still quite humbling to think, well, I got that recognition. But I'm the big thing for me is on the on the eleventh. Australian the local hero. So there's been 11 people in Australia's history that have received before mine, so there's, there's 16 of us, um, that have received that award. And that's, for me, it is extremely overwhelming and, as I was saying, humbling to think that's a part of history now. And we went to Lake Billy Griffin and um, walked around and they've got the, uh, the pillars for each year for the recipients. So when we walked around in camera, had a look at it, I thought, wow, I'm part of Australia's history. And for the reward for me, because it's how many kids we've helped, and that was, it just seems true, thinking I've got the award because it's representing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of kids and just couldn't be prouder um, to represent them in you know, a great way. Because it's the only reason why I got it. Yeah. Not for who I am what I've done it's because there was an opportunity there to help kids and that was recognised so. sure. and what did that do for the organisation and, and your personal brand did it it did, it did lift it absolutely it opened a lot of doors and uh, I know it's a bit crazy but people are starting to take us more seriously which uh, I suppose you get a little bit lost sometimes thinking I, why don't you get this why don't you get that people need help and they shouldn't be judged or put in boxes so I I still struggle with that personally, but at least the awards 
have all opened doors, created a platform, and it's it's a speaking opportunity now that uh, you know I've, I've had a TEDx talk, which I just that was on my bucket list, personal bucket list, but because of the awards that actually helped me achieve that. So yeah, yeah it's been so everything's phenomenal. come everything's come together. Everything is you know. Do you, do you believe in coincidences? Uh, no, no, no. Everything, every single thing happens for a reason when it's supposed to happen. Correct. Are you a reader? Do you read? I read when I can. When you can. When What's I your favourite book? Uh, that would have been, still is, uh, Power of One, Bryce Courtney. Why? Uh, there's a quote in that book, which I, I love the struggle uh, and the whole story. So it's a story about apartheid, but there's a uh, there's a, a chapter. There's, there's a, a situation where one of the guys that's trying to set up these schools and the schools keep on getting shut down, or the uh, the army coming in and killing kids and you know shooting teachers, but he, keeps on building next school and next school and someone says why are you doing this it's you know you're not going to achieve anything he said everything has to start a waterfall starts with a single drop of water and that's for me that resonates every single day so when I could talk about anything everyone's a drop of water yeah. not not in a bad way it's it's a good way yeah. that you're a drop of water so that's that's my most inspirational book wow that's deep now let's go deeper oh. um, <laughs> I love, I love asking these questions. What are your What are your thoughts on God or the concept of the supreme power? What, what are your thoughts? On, I ask this question from a lot of people, yep. and everybody's answer is different. And yeah, just want to know your thoughts on that. We spoke about obviously the loss of your father, which is always hard. Yes. Um, and at those times, you sort of tend to think about, well, okay, well, what happens? Where do we go? All that kind of thing. So, what What are your thoughts on on that? I take a lot of solace in believing that, you know, obviously personally, that we're made of energy. So we come from dust, we go to dust. Uh, Are you a religious man? No. Okay. No, not at all. I was in a church choir. Yeah? Uh, is that because you like DJing or is that because you went to church? <laughs> Actually, I looked at this the other day. There's a photo of my, um, it was like the, the graduational part, the end of the choir and everyone was dressed up and we had our white robes on and I was the only one in pants and thong, uh, sandals. So it really stood out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I like the, I like the concept of uh, church and, and people coming together for that, that community feel, where they can re- release problems or feel they're part of something. So no one feels alone. But personally, you think well, if we're energy, that's why I think even with Dad, I know there's a lot of sayings where people say they're looking over me, but if your energy is that strong and you resonate, so I'm a bit of a science geek as well, so yeah. I, I love that sort of it. Um, I look at all the stuff that NASA's doing, I like the research, uh, Darwinian theories, uh, evolution, you know, how many times the Earth's been around and all these restarts, the galaxy, how infinite um, space is, but also, you know, on the other side, it's infinite smallness as well. So yeah. it's, it's a crazy world that we're living in, crazy time. But for me personally, I thought, well, if we're all energy, we go to energy. So if you can feel sometimes someone's around you or good things happen, you think, well, that could be their energy still around. So it's yeah, not a it's not a God thing for me. It's a, well, you believe in yourself um, and you, you can't put your faith in something that doesn't exist or hope or that's going to fix my problems for me. Mm. You believe in yourself first and you can have any sort of religious belief you want absolutely but so long as you put yourself first and you do the right thing and just be good so I think my my religion if it had to be a religion is just be a good person and be a human being 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Look, I grew up. I, I was a, a Catholic, um, but I never actually subscribed to the political party of religion. I have my own views, and I sort of share um, your thoughts on that. And I, and I think religion can be a really good thing. Um, you know, if just to bring some good out. It yeah. doesn't matter what you believe, and I think the crux is all the same. It's if 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 you're an ass, you're an ass whether you believe in God or whether you don't. <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people that go to church and they, you know, they're some they're questionable, but I, I think it all comes down just don't be a dick. I think yeah. it is, and just just be honest and and do some good things, and I'm sure you'll get your your place when that when it's time wherever that is. So, what's the future hold for you, Tim? What, what's what's the future, mate? I think excitement. Uh, I've loved the journey, and I'll, I'll continue to love the journey. Uh, I see opportunities for TLC for kids. I see opportunities for uh, ourselves, personal life, um, because I've got a very rich life. So it's very fulfilling, and I think the future, someone was talking to us about um, retirement the other day, and I struggle to understand what that word means personally, because I can't see, you know, think, oh, 60 years old now, you've got to think of stopping. That's a partial, it's such a bullshit thing, isn't it? It's just, but one of my good friends, um, he also is into a lot of science and uh, technology and research, and there's talk at the moment of people living a lot longer. Like, you know, we're talking doubling or tripling our lifespan. And the problem is that it's come up, it's not, you know, how we're going to be living and resource-wise, is what are you going to do for a career? If you're going to be living to 200 years old, well, what do you want to do? Mm. So, you know, you might be a doctor for 50 years, you might be a scientist, you might be a race car driver. So yeah. it's sort of endless. So I think for the future and time, you think, no, just enjoy your life until you get tired and you need to go to the Bahamas. Yeah, absolutely. And that's... Well, look, I, I think I'm going to live forever, so, you know, I've got a lot of, <laughs> lot of, the a lot of, a lot of planning to do. So, um, so, do you have any closing comments or quotes for our listeners? I think live live every day. It's, it's just critical um, that you in, enjoy the life you have. Be proud of exactly who you are. And if it is a little bit questionable, look at what you're doing and change. You know, it's never too late for anybody. I think that's a, it's a very important part and important lesson for people to learn. If you've gone through crap or life is crap for you or things are getting you down, it's never too late to stop, reach out, because we're not alone. There's six and a half billion people on our planet, so no one's ever by themselves. No one's an island. Um, so whatever you're going through, someone else has already gone through it. But just, I suppose, appreciate and have gratitude for your life and just you know, be a good good person and that's it very deep Tim very deep Tim it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show you're an absolute gentleman I look forward to seeing how far you take this thing oh, thanks Daniel thank I'm you very much. much thank you so much for this opportunity it's great